Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the final episode of our annual Health Plan mini-series, where today we have the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Amal Agarwal, who serves as Vice President for Home Solutions at Humana, one of the nation's largest health insurance organizations and health plans. In today's episode, we learn about Amal's journey from Chicago uh, to where he is today, and we also learn about his passion for tennis, which he just picked up. The meat and potatoes of today's episode is what Humana is doing with robust care in the home and a follow-up on what some of you might remember as to their bold goal. We hope you enjoy today's episode with Dr. Agarwal and feel free to check out other episodes of Pop Health Podcast by visiting us at popofpodcast.com, checking us out on our YouTube channel or listening to our show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks everybody, enjoy today's episode. Well, Amal, thanks so much for joining the show today. Hey, happy to be here. Awesome. So uh, one thing we like to do on our show is get to know the guests a little bit before we jump into kind of the meat and potatoes of healthcare. So let's get to know you a bit, Amal. And uh, what's something outside of the workplace, uh, a fun fact, a hobby, something like that? Um, well, a couple of things. I, I grew up playing basketball and um, I recently had to stop playing um, just because it's it wears and tears on your on your knees quite a bit and you know when you're in your 40s playing with people in your 20s it's just not the same <laughs> so um but i i started playing tennis a lot um I, I never really grew up playing i started playing and i started competing in leagues and it's it's probably the most fun i've had playing sport since i can remember ah, good. yeah it's just a fun time Nice. Well, I thought you might have been in your 30s. I'm also in my 40s. Uh, and luckily, I coach kids. So I still I still can take the kids. Uh, but it's definitely yeah. not the same. For the competition, uh, what's your strength? Uh, forehand, backhand, serve, serve and volley? Definitely not serves. <laughs> still trying to figure out how to serve better. Um, actually, I've got a pretty good backhand right now and forehand. It's just, it's just kind of a natural swing for me. I'm not sure why. Um, but I've, I've, it's... So I, I'm usually like I play doubles okay. and so my partner loves being up at the net and trying to crush the volleys yeah. and I get to stay in the back and I can just rally all day and um, have a good time doing it. Nice. One-handed backhand, two-handed? I do the two-hand backhand. Yeah. I try to do the one hand because it just looks pretty, especially if I'm <laughs> watching like US, you know, open tennis, watching Federer and he does the, you know, it looks so nice, but two hands, is just it works for me. Yeah, I tried the one hand and I'm just not strong enough. So uh, I, I know what you mean. Cool. So uh, when you're not playing tennis, well, actually, tennis is relatively new for you. So let's backtrack a little bit. You mentioned basketball in your earlier days. Um, give us a little bit of your background, where you grew up. Yeah, sure. So I, uh, I live in Louisville, Kentucky right now. I moved here in 2016, grew up in Chicago. Um, went to school there, you know, elementary, high school, and then left for my college and medical training. And so kind of just bounced around. But then I moved back to Chicago in 2009 and was practicing full time. And I, you know, I moved back. I was married about a year in. Uh, and so right now, we, you know, we've been married 13 years, I believe. And we have three kids now. So right. my oldest is nine. And I'm actually coaching his school's basketball team for the fourth graders. So that's that's interesting, you know, <laughs> trying to coach a bunch of nine-year-olds on basketball. 
It's some set of challenges. So let me ask, let me ask you, you mentioned you couldn't handle the 20 year olds, but can you take on the nine year olds? Okay. Yeah. I mean, that is just not even, you know, you try to do a scrimmage and you sub in for a player when you're short. And so it's, it's just, you try not to be too aggressive because you want them to learn, but yeah, nine year olds you can handle and (laughs) they're really impressed when you can shoot from the, beyond the three point line and hit the rim, you know, cause they're still struggling to hit from the free throw line. So um, nice. So you got a nine-year-old, and then what else? A nine-year-old boy, and then I have two girls, a six- and a four-year-old. Okay. So we're busy. That's, that's my free time. All right. Awesome. So you're in, uh, you're in Louisville, Kentucky now, grew up in Chicago. You mentioned your medical school. At what point in life were you thinking, you know, I think I want to be a physician? Oh, um, <clears throat> that started pretty early on as a kid. Um, just I, I – you know, I had tubes in and out of my ears, just like a lot of ear infections you get. And so I remember once uh, saying this, just that, hey, I want to do what my ENT did and I want to help people feel better, you know? And it was just like an innocent thing you said when you're like a seven-year-old, but said that, and that just kind of stuck with me, that I, I just, I like being able, you know, I just appreciate it as a patient um, someone being able to fix something for me and making me feel better. And I thought that'd be very cool if I could do that. Yeah. And then, you know, just growing up and learning about, you know, science, just um, math, physics, biology, just it had a natural interest for it. And um, so that's when I think I first realized I, I liked medicine. Um, as I grew up and started learning about it, it was kind of interesting because I also learned um, really like finance. Yeah. And so I actually took the road never traveled i guess but i when i went to college i was actually enrolled in our business school doing pre-med because i just really liked both and so um just kind of stuck in in that space okay so once you finished school were you jumping into finance first or medicine first yeah i was interested in both and so i i thought about maybe going into uh investment banking out of college i did banking internships okay uh, i was in school um, came out um, around 9-11, and so jobs weren't really available at the time. A lot of banks were, um, you know, we were trying to kind of go through a recession. And so decided to go to medical school and, you know, just wanted to get my medical degree. And then, you know, when I was in med school, my third year, I had a chance to rotate in charity hospital in New Orleans um, in May of, I can't remember what year now, but it was, I think, 2004, and it was right before Katrina took place and kind of wiped out the hospital. But while I was there, if you know anything about Charity Hospital in New Orleans, you saw everything in the emergency yeah. room. Um, knife Gun Club walk in, you saw, you know, everything, medical, disease management, you saw sick of the sick and the trauma. And I fell in love with emergency medicine. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. And there's a few components of it that I like, but one was instant gratification, meaning I saw a patient and within two hours, I was able to come to closure. So either I'm going to admit you to the hospital because you need prolonged care, or I can kind of fix you up and send you home and you're stable. And so that's when I decided to go into emergency medicine. And so I um, ended up doing my training in Jacksonville, Florida yeah. at Shands Hospital, um, which was like the sister hospital for charity. So it was, it was a fun place for different reasons than you do yeah no and i know it's even today even in your role at humana which we'll get to you in, in a moment you're still a practicing ed physician and is that uh tell us about that how you're still practicing is that um forgive me if i have this wrong is that with the veterans uh 
hospital yeah. or okay yeah I worked for the VA here in Louisville um, started working for them about a year and a half ago um, and so for me you know as I kind of started practicing full-time and then started getting into this role that I'm in today it was always very important for me to um, stay clinically active one is you want to maintain your clinical skills too I spent a lot of time and money just getting the degree and being oh, yeah. kind of walk away from it now uh, but three I actually really really enjoy it and I enjoy being at the bedside. I enjoy getting to just focus on clinical medicine. And I find that when I can do that a couple of days a month, you know, I, what I, I, I learn and see in the, in the ER actually really helps the work at DOH Humana. And anything, you know, whatever we're doing in, in healthcare, you know, if I have the ability to take what I know clinically and, and what I know from like a macro level and bring that into my thinking, it's actually pretty powerful. You know, I, I've thought about hanging with the stethoscope, you know, about two years ago, I thought about, hey, I think I should hang it up and just focus full time on my job. And actually, my leader at the time encouraged me to stay. And she said, you know, I really enjoy the, the stories you bring back from the hospital and some of the learnings. And I think it's pretty powerful um, as we try and shape, you know, our work. So I would encourage you to practice if you still can. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. Nice to have that support. It so- was huge. So one thing uh, that I haven't touched on yet, and this could be debatable among physicians, is, you know, we got the MDs and the DO, right? Yeah. So for me, I'm not a physician, and I forget, to be upfront, I forget what the differences are. Um, you were a DO. Can you give us, uh, or share with the audience or remind the audience, what are the differences and why you chose the DO route? Yeah, sure. Um, so when, you, when you're finishing up, you know, undergrad and pre-med and you're applying to medical school, um, you know, I'd say probably 90% of the schools, 95% of schools are probably MD. And then five to 10% of the schools are a DO, doctor of osteopathic medicine um, versus the allopathic, which is a traditional. Now I looked at both schools. Um, now I grew up, my uncle um, was a DO and I also, my orthopedic doctor that I saw when I was having some knee issues in high school from playing basketball was, an, was a DO. And I, I didn't notice it or appreciate it too much until I started looking at schools and it, you know, they said, these docs were really good. I really appreciate what they did. And I talked to them about medical school and then that's when I started learning about DO. And what they said was, you know, when we went to DO school, you learn everything you learn in an MD school, but you get to spend time learning about um, manipulation, essentially. Okay. Um, Hands-on manipulation, not like mental manipulation, but so it's basically you spend more time just, palpating the patient and learning, you know, just how the structural can impact um, kind of the disease process and vice versa. And I was like, that's pretty interesting. And so I, I went and just learned about it. And I thought, you know, I really like that component um, of it. And I thought if I can embed that into my practice, that'd be pretty helpful. And it's actually been pretty helpful. So when I went to go train in emergency medicine, I brought that learnings with me. And a lot of what I see in the ER is like low back pain right? Or back yeah. pain, or structural pain. And so I've noticed my patients appreciate that I lay my hands on them and can kind of palpate a little bit and say, here's what's going on. Talk to them about maybe, you know, posture, um, pro- impo- importance of stretching, importance of strength in different muscle groups that you may not do um, or learn about. And so I, I view that as kind of the plus one. So basically, sorry, I'm rambling, but to add no. answer, I'll look at DO as an MD, plus uh, somewhat of a combination of what you learn in chiropractic school. And it's just kind of like an added tool in, you know, my tool belt. 
So okay. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for the refresher. And uh, for me, some of that was new. Uh, so thank you. Appreciate that. Sure. So let's, let's talk about your journey to Humana. So ED physician by trade, <clears throat> you're still practicing, but you've ultimately landed at Humana. Walk us through briefly how you got to Humana. Yeah, sure. Um, it's funny. Like when I was, you know, deciding to go into emergency medicine, there's a few things that I liked about it. One was just you see a whole host of different um, people and, and different, you, you know, complaints. So I'm not just focused on um, a, a disease, uh, one disease system. Like I'm seeing everything, right? Um, medical emergencies, the traumatic emergencies. The other thing I really enjoyed about emergency medicine, though, was whether you or not you have the ability to pay, it doesn't really impact what I'm going to do, right? I My, my ability to deliver care is just based on what you need and I'm going to deliver it and what I have at the hospital. And so I never, you know, I, I used to joke that I never have to worry about insurance. Right. So when you, you say, why make you man? It's just funny because I never thought I'd work at a quote unquote insurance company. Yeah. And so that wasn't in the books. Right. So I, I went into, you know, I've always kind of thought about medicine or healthcare or even your career is just do what's interesting. And then, you know, versus focused on like where I need to be 10 years from now. Yep. Do what you like and keep learning. As long as you're learning and, and able to contribute, that that's what's important. And so I started practicing. I started seeing the breakdown in healthcare um, in the ER. And I found that very frustrating. And what I mean by that is I saw a lot of the same patients coming back. And I felt like I was literally putting a Band-Aid on them. But yeah. I wasn't fixing the systemic issue, right? I, for example, a lot of patients with um, COPD would come back and say, I ran out of my inhaler bunch of you and I can't afford it. All right, here's a loaner one from the ER. I can give you one. And then they'd be back three weeks. Can you give me another inhaler? I was like, well, why can't you get an inhaler? Like, why can't I fix this? Right. And so I got a little, I felt a little bit burnt out with what I was doing just, you know, a year into and said, I want to be able to fix that bigger issue. As I started exploring now, the thing for medical professionals that want to break into the administrative side of healthcare, it's not easy because there's no real path laid before you. Right. And so I didn't know what that would look like. Right. So I started looking at talking to banks. Right. Because I was interested in, in the healthcare finance field. Um, started looking into startups and started looking at healthcare consulting. And I ended up working at a healthcare startup in analytics. And then I went into um, consulting with Accenture and was working there and was um, and at that point had started completing my MBA. But while I was doing that, that's when Humana reached out to me and said, hey, we have um, an interest in hiring someone like you. First, I said, why? I'm not, uh, I'm not interested in health insurance. And they said, no, we're more than that. Um, we're getting into care delivery. And yep. we want someone that understands care delivery as well as administrative to help us kind of go into that, you know, to help us evolve our piece. But Anyway, I learned about Medicare Advantage, learned about how members stay with a plan for seven, eight years, and they have the interest to invest in a member's health yep. um, and see like there is going to be not only an altruistic ROI, but also a financial ROI, plus it's the right thing to do for the member. And so when you can align all these things, it made a ton of sense. For me. And so that's why I joined the company. Okay, awesome. So uh, just briefly, um, what is Humana? You mentioned it's uh, health insurance, care delivery, maybe a 30-second elevator speech. Yeah, so Humana is the top five health insurance company 
um, but our focus is primarily in Medicare Advantage. So our average member is 72 years old and Medicare Advantage are people that are qualified for Medicare and now choose to have the Advantage plan. And what we need to do is deliver care cheaper than what the government would pay, at least more economically, but we have to also drive better clinical outcomes, right? So we have to be more effective and efficient. And the way we do that is by putting together healthcare initiatives that keep members healthy and out of the hospital adverse events, right? So keep them out of uh, avoidable admissions, avoidable ER visits is what we do. And so we partner, we have lots of data, we have lots of resources. We partner with the physicians on the ground, nurse practitioners on the ground or providers and with our members and try to deliver coordinated care, coordinated programs that keep people healthy. Awesome. Awesome. That includes uh, robust care in the home, um, which is something that you mentioned a lot when I uh, met you and saw you speak in Chicago a little over a month ago. We'll get to that in a second. So before we get to the robust care in the home, uh, there's something called the bold goal. And I yep. spoke with your colleague, uh, Dr. Andrew Renda, a couple of years yep. ago about the bold goal. Could you give us a refresher, or for those who didn't hear the 2019 episode, what is the bold goal and how's it going? Yeah, bold goal is um, the initiative that started before I joined Humana. So I, I can't remember exactly when it started, but it's been around now for seven, eight years. And the initiative was, our bold goal was in 2020, can we improve our members' healthy days by 20%, right? Improve yep. health and so healthy days is, is a is a metric that was created by Robert Woods Johnson Foundation but it's really it's a self-reported metric around you know in the past 30 days how many days do you feel mentally healthy and physically healthy were you able to do what you wanted to do right and did you feel like doing it right and you measure that and the idea was can we actually improve that by 20% and when you look at how you're going to do it well there's a number of things involved in keeping somebody quote unquote healthy. And the premise of bold goal was going into a market and lifting the market up. Um, and that should have a peripheral effect on your membership, right? So this won't be a specific humana related initiative. So we go into several markets where we have key um, density, but we work with various stakeholders, right? So we work with food banks, we work with provider groups, we work with social services. And basically, we want to improve the, the health of this community. And that's and that's essentially the bold goal and how we do it. Awesome. And so this bold goal, I know Humana, you mentioned the top five uh, health plan in the United States. Uh, one thing I haven't touched on is the general geography of Humana. Is it in all 50 states? Is it in most states? Can you give us a brief overview? Yeah, we're, we're in pretty much every state, but we have density that's more or less in the southeast is, is kind of perfect. So Texas and Florida are our largest markets. And then everywhere in between um, is kind of where we're, we're bigger. Um, okay. We have some presence in the West Coast, but it's a little bit smaller um, compared to our southeast. Got it. And I know, uh, as I shared with, uh, with them all uh, before the show started, um, a big chunk of our audience is from the West Coast. So I appreciate you mentioning that. But Humana is, like you said, it's also a care delivery organization, right? So yep. there's, I, I believe, uh, like kin the Kindred acquisition. So you guys also provide, you know, post-acute care services. So I know a lot of our audience is familiar with the, the Kindred name, for example. So your, your in-laws, you said something funny in Chicago about your in-laws. <laughs> they were confused why you become a doctor, but then you're behind a computer. Can you, can you touch on that? Yeah. So, um, you know... Uh, 
it was, you know, I was just mentioning that when I think about trying to explain to our members what it is we're trying to do at Humana and what their perception is, I think we have to just be mindful that there's going to be a gap, right? Like, so for us at Humana or for us, you know, just you and I talking about population health, it kind of makes sense, right? When I say I want to keep people at home, you get it. And when I say um, I'm using my clinical background to drive <clears throat> change, you know, it kind of makes sense. But when you talk to someone that's not really involved in it day to day, and someone who I would classify as one of our members, they they get a little confused. Like, but you're a doctor. Why do you work for yeah. insurance? Company? Why does an insurance company care about my health care? You guys just want to keep you know deny things or keep things low cost. What do you mean you care about my health care? And why why would they hire you to do that? Right. So it's just it's trying to connect all the dots. And so I think you know one of the things I, I, I emphasize in our organization is because we see it and talk about it every day, it doesn't mean it's going to translate to even our physician or provider partners, right? They, they have the same thoughts. So we have to be very mindful in communicating what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it and recognize it's going to probably take some repetition before it starts to make sense. Got it. So has it clicked for them or is it still like, ah, whatever? <laughs> I don't know. I, they, they ask about it a little bit less. So I don't know if it's clicked for them or if they just, you know, <laughs> Or tired of asking. No, but I, I think it has. I mean, I think um, as I'm able to also talk about some of the impact that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to have and I am having and some of the initiatives that we're working on, it is starting to click. And I think um, they were just recently, they, they were like, this sounds like you're doing really good work and um, we're proud of you. So I think it's starting to make sense. So it's, it's good. All right. Awesome. So let's jump back into the robust care in the home. Um, in your role as vice president with a big focus or your whole focus on, you know, care in the home, basically, or Medicare or home products, what are some of the things that in your relatively young time at Humana, have you seen that's been uh, successful so far with getting more robust care in the home? Well, you mentioned the Kindred acquisition, right? I think that's probably our biggest one, but we just uh, recently closed on the largest provider of home health. Um, in the country and, you know, 42 state licenses, um, 40,000 people. We just, you know, came on as a part of this acquisition, new associates. Um, I mean, that's, that's pretty big. That's the largest acquisition in the humanist history um, that we've had. And so I say that's pretty big. Um, but part of that was why did, or where does that fit into this kind of home ecosystem that we're building out? And so we think about like five pillars um, or five moments in a patient's care in a life, right? So one is primary care. And so we have a partnership with HEAL that does only primary care in the home. They have no brick and mortar offices. Um, but we also have the brick and mortar with our provider care organization, or also known as CenterWell. We have over 100 clinics now that can derive uh, primary care in a brick and mortar setting. So we have the brick and mortar plus the home care PCP. The second component is, well, I have a demand or a need right now that I think is somewhat urgent or emergent. How can you ha can you address that? Yes, we do that with our partnership with Dispatch Health, ER at home. Yeah, if you can do that now, you think about hospital at home, right? So we have partnerships, and we're we're testing out more hospital at home. We put that in our in eight markets for um, in our plan benefit design. That's yep. going to go next year. So we're going to we're growing this out and testing hospital at home. So you know, that's the first three. And now you think about post-acute care, which is, you know, I was just recently discharged and I need some home health. Well, that's what Kindred's going to do. And then the last piece 
would be um, as we think about um, sniff at home. Yeah. And, and can we do that and sniff palliative care hospice at home? So that would be a big one. Awesome. And for the audience, um, most of you are healthcare professionals, but skilled nursing level care in the home. Uh, And there's a lot of initiatives across the country. It's great to see Humana doing that as well. Um, I'm very familiar with HEAL. I've personally had a HEAL visit um, for my home. Yeah. Yeah. And for my family. So uh, a lot of my colleagues have used HEAL as well. Um, I know some of their founders. um, We actually did a a podcast with HEAL uh, a couple of years back. So um, it's neat to see what you guys are doing. So as, as we wrap up the show, Amal, how do folks keep tabs uh, on what you're doing? Are you active on LinkedIn or how can folks kind of see what you're up to? Yeah, no, I, um, I, I'm glad you asked. I, I guess I should be. I am active on LinkedIn, but I could probably be a little bit more active uh, and just trying to keep tabs on what I'm doing. But that's probably the, the best source, I would say, is LinkedIn. Okay. All right, folks, we've had Dr. Amal Agarwal on the show, Vice President at Humana. Uh, We talked some shoes off the air as well. He's got a new, cool new pair, but I really appreciate you being on the show today and educating um, our group about what you guys are doing at Humana. Thanks so much, Amal. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to see you again. Absolutely. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.